the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles well, away. Arrived, we found the we have a, a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Good morning. Murder. People do crazy things when they're in love. On October 3rd, 1922, two fools in love were involved in a murder that, while they thought it would allow them to be together, forced them apart until the day they died. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Edith Thompson lived a happy childhood. She excelled at dancing, acting, and was extremely bright. In 1909, when she was just 15 years old, she left school and joined a firm of clothing manufacturers. This turned into a career, and soon she became the chief clothing buyer. Around the same time she began her career, she met Percy Thompson. The two were engaged for six years before marrying in 1916. He too had a flourishing career, and they lived a comfortable life together. That was until 1920, when Edith reconnected with a man whom she knew as a nine-year-old school friend of her younger sister, Frederick Bywaters. Now 18, Frederick was a member of the Merchant Navy. He was handsome, impulsive, and had stories of far-off travel and adventure. The 26-year-old Edith was immediately attracted to the boy, and her husband, being none the wiser, invited Frederick on vacation and eventually let him move in. Edith and Frederick began an affair which Percy found out about. He confronted the lovers, and when Frederick demanded that Percy divorce Edith, Percy kicked him out of their home. According to Edith, after her lover was sent away, Percy became violent, even striking her and throwing her across the room. The pair did not stop their affair and simply took it to paper. For a year, while Frederick was at sea, he and Edith exchanged over 60 love letters back and forth. Not only did these letters contain declarations of undying love, but it also contained stories of how Edith had made attempts to poison and kill her husband. She claimed she once ground up glass and put it in her husband's mashed potatoes and, on another occasion, fed him poison, but he failed to even get sick. Later, when these letters were found and scrutinized, Frederick defended his lover, stating that they were simply stories and just works of fiction. On October 3, 1922, the Thompsons attended a show at the Criterion Theatre in London. They left around 11 p.m. and, around 11.30, were walking close to their home when a man jumped from the bushes. He began attacking Percy while Edith was knocked down in the struggle. Before she could call for help, her husband had been stabbed to death. 
With the attacker gone, Edith began screaming hysterically for help. Police arrived, but Edith was still beside herself. The next day, finally gaining her composure, Edith claimed that she had no idea who the attacker was. What she didn't know was that her lover, Frederick Bywaters, had already been arrested and confessed to the murder. Though, according to him, murder was not part of the plan. He claimed that his plan was simply to confront Percy and force him to deal with his failed marriage, but he lost his temper. Once police explained to Edith that they already had Frederick, she admitted that she did know who the attacker was and explained how she knew him. Frederick cooperated completely and gave police all the information and led them to the weapon. But he did make it abundantly clear that he acted completely alone and that Edith knew nothing about the attack. However, the discovery of those love letters condemned the couple as a pair with a common motive for murder. The lovers' shared trial began on December 6, 1922. The letters were, of course, a large part of the case against, more specifically, Edith Thompson. Frederick wasn't denying his role in the murder, but these letters built a case that Edith was just as guilty. Her counsel urged her not to testify, but the once skilled actress loved the attention and went against their advice. This case had become highly sensationalized and everyone was talking about the lovers turned murderers. She painted herself as a flirtatious liar, self-pitying, and melodramatic. She made a bad impression on the judge and jury, and it likely condemned her far more than it helped her. Up until this testimony, there were still many who believed Edith loved and cared for her husband, and that her lover acted on his own. But not anymore. On December 11th, the couple was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. When the verdict was read, Edith became hysterical, and Frederick protested that she was innocent. Almost one million people signed a petition to try and halt the execution. The pair, especially Edith, became a symbol of love that attracted sympathy amongst the public. When she was given her execution date, Edith lost all composure and spent the days leading up to her death in a near hysteria, to the point where she had to be heavily sedated. She collapsed shortly before her hanging and had to be supported by prison guards and held upright while the noose was placed around her neck. On January 9th, 1923, at the same time, just a half a mile apart, Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters were hanged. Several years later, it was revealed that when Edith was hanged, she suffered from a massive vaginal hemorrhage. There is debate still if this was a hemorrhage or if Edith Thompson was pregnant at the time of her execution. No post-mortem examination was done, so we may never truly know. But John Ellis, her executioner, committed suicide in 1931, claiming he was haunted by Edith's final hours. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.